Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We've got a very special guest, uh, Supervisory Deputy U.S. Marshal, former Robert Letigar. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm living the dream. It's, uh, you know, not even June yet. I guess there's only one more day of May, but it's already 95 degrees in Austin. So awesome. Uh, yeah. It's going to be a sweaty summer. Um, <clears throat> so for the audience, uh, give us a little bit of brief on your background. Uh, I know you served in the Navy. I know that you were a deputy U.S. Marshal for a very long time. Uh, tell me about that. And then tell me about how we've arrived here in the show today. Uh, well, <clears throat> I, I was in the Navy for almost seven years. I was um, military police and in the Navy, it's master at arms. Mm. And then I, um, I was a military police investigator and then instructor. And then I, um, like I did almost seven years, got out and went right into the U.S. Marshal Service as a deputy U.S. Marshal in um, Eastern District, New York, Brooklyn, as you can tell from my accent. <laughs> um, so I did, I was a deputy for a good 10 years <clears throat> doing the, the regular field work, you know, court, um, cell block, transportation, and then doing little uh, rotations and warrants. Um, but then, you know, you get your niche and I fell right into doing warrants most of my career and about 10 or 11 years on the job, I put in and became a supervisor and <clears throat> I was a supervisor then of the, the Warren squad in Eastern New York, which consists of Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, Nassau County and Suffolk County. Um, and in Eastern New York, we were part of the uh, New York, New Jersey regional fugitive task force which is probably the biggest fugitive warrant squad in the nation. So why do you think you that is every... because of all the OC up there? Um, it's NYPD, man. Mm. It's the most people in the, you know, the biggest police department in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were, we had dozens of NYPD detectives on a task force in the city, you know, handling. And then we worked too with, um, Southern District in New York, which was in Manhattan, mm. and dealt with the Bronx and White Plains, and then further upstate. Um, I'm originally from Queens, so I was, you know, in Brooklyn, thank goodness, and uh, had an awesome career. But, um, you know, a few years back, a young lady that worked for me um, was being, in the beginning, bullied and harassed and everything by some coworkers. And it just, you know, elevated to sexual harassment, actual assault. And then they started just to humiliate her, you know, pick on her all the time. And this young girl was a deputy U.S. Marshal. And the guys that were messing with her were two other marshals, um, a Suffolk County sheriff and a Suffolk County probation officer. And they just didn't want to deal with her. You know, they didn't want to take orders from a girl. And she, here she is, you know, she's a, a U.S. Army veteran, deputy U.S. Marshal. And, you know, I guess, you know, the big thing too, she was a lesbian and she was out in the open lesbian. And um, <clears throat> these guys did not want to, to listen to what she had to say. They wouldn't, they wouldn't show her the respect or the, you know, the, the respect that she deserves to be there as being a team leader and running uh, a team. Um, so it comes to my attention and I'm a supervisor of her while she's on the task force and I confront these guys and I also confront the supervisor of the task force and it all goes to hell. You know, it's, they don't, they don't want to listen to what I have to say. And um, we just, bring it up and it has to get reported to upper echelon, you know, to leadership. It has to go to the chiefs and then above that. And we do that. And um, next thing you know, it goes to the, to the marshal's headquarters in Arlington, Virginia. And the leaders to be decided that it would not go to internal affairs, but that they would select a special investigator 
from headquarters to investigate themselves. Yeah, that's always a red flag, right? <laughs> no, well, these people are supposed to be really smart. They're our leaders, you know, and they know better. <clears throat> so this person who just so happens to start investigating the task force in New York was part of the task force in New Hampshire and knew the same players. So when he comes down, he does his investigation. It goes on for a couple of months. And it goes from all these serious complaints that the young lady filed to the talking about office culture, you know, just, you know, shenanigans in the, in the squad room. And some of these shenanigans were one of the, another guy actually assaulted her. It was all kinds of sexual innuendos going around. And um, one guy actually urinated in a, a tub of cookies that you would get from like Costco that she left on her desk for everybody in the squad room to take, but somebody peed in it. And this goes into just office culture, nothing else. So, and there's, you know, other things that are thrown in there about sex, discrimination, and uh, stalking, harassment. It just, it just goes more and more and more with the information that's coming out. But, <clears throat> this investigator and the leaders in headquarters turn around and say, well, the problem is myself and the young lady. It's not the guys in the squad room that I was a bad supervisor and I should have controlled it better. But to control what was better was her complaining about being sexually harassed and bullied and all this other stuff. But that was being ignored because I should have nipped that in the butt without knowing it. So my chief then is not satisfied with this going, there was actual, you know, problems there. So he raises enough, you know, volume to it. And now there's going to be an internal investigation a year after the findings of this office culture investigation. So now when internal affairs comes in, they go to the main person who the young lady complained about. And they sit him down because he now has been removed from the task force because something in the mix happened in there. And when they sit him down, they come out with, you know, do you know why you're here? He says, no. And then they ask him, you know, do you have anything to say? Oh yeah, I have a lot to say. And the one thing is that Bobby Lettiger, your supervisor, is a racist. And we didn't say anything because he was a supervisor where you feel he would retaliate against us. Even though he worked with me for eight years and there was nothing ever brought up about that. There was nothing brought up about the office culture investigation, but all of a sudden this specific day when you're removed from the task force, I'm a racist now. And then it went to more where they elevated the more of the accusations against me is that I was a racist. I was a drug dealer. I was stealing money. I owned a business with a felon. I was cheating on my wife. I filed bankruptcy and the list just goes on and on and on to show that it was just pure retaliation. And this person admits it in his interview, but internal affairs doesn't care. And they see it as they're on a true witch hunt. And they were like, nope, we're gonna investigate the allegation that you are a racist, but we're not gonna look into anything that the, the girl complained about, the deputy marshal, we're gonna go walk with what this Suffolk County Sheriff says, you know, somebody outside the agency, a different person, not one of our own. So then they ask his partner, who's a Suffolk County probation officer, and he's like, yep, Bobby Lettiger's a racist. He says the N-word hundreds to thousands of times a day, and everybody knows it. So they okay, they call in the other... Two, they're calling the two marshals who now start backpedaling 
and going, well, we think we might have heard him say it. And yeah, maybe he said it once or twice in the office. Because these guys, being marshals, if I was a racist and I did say the N-word, they have an obligation and responsibility to come forward. So now they're caught in a catch-22. So they say yes and no at the same time. So then Internal Affairs starts investigating people, other people that I work with. And 16 people that they talked to from every nationality and every sex said, I never said it. I don't say the N-word. I'm not a racist. I'm not, I don't discriminate. Nothing. And then Internal Affairs comes and talks to me. And they're like, do you say the N-word? And they give me and I deny everything. Well, they write their report and it goes up and a deciding or proposing official, a chief from the marshals says he doesn't believe me in my interview, but he believes the four guys who said I was a racist. So they proposed to terminate me and fire me after having 22 years on a job. So we have to get a lawyer. You have to, you know, defend yourself. Mm -hmm. I get letters of support and all this stuff. And we go before deciding official. I give her all this information, all the evidence, and we go through the whole thing, the whole case of everything that's there. This lady sees pure retaliation. And within two weeks rules in my behalf that it was unsubstantiated and it was all garbage. Well, during that time, I'm still being investigated from internal affairs because there's more allegations being made against me. So now I'm being under investigation and it all stems from defending this young lady. I go through another two years of investigations and 70 days before I could retire, they turn around and they go during the pandemic that I violated the code of professional responsibility and terminated me. Violated it. How, what was the charge exactly? Cause it's, it's uh, I've worked at uh, DHS before. It's not exactly easy to fire somebody from the federal government. You know what I mean? I mean, it is if you, if you pull the witch hunt stuff, which I saw in the military as well, which is where, you know, uh, they'll grab a couple of collaborative assholes and get them to write paperwork on you or whatever, and then make it look like it all happened over the course of time. But in reality, it all happened in a week is usually what happens. And I've seen people try to get drummed out of the military like that. So what was the charge exactly? Well, uh, you got to go backwards because I was being investigated for being a racist and having owning a gym with a felon. Mm -hmm. So when I go and there's more, when I'm with this deciding official, a person calls in there who's a friend of these members of the task force that I steal prisoner property and I'm selling social security numbers. So now it's investigation over investigation and complaint against complaint. So this deciding official can only rule on one thing and she finds it unsubstantiated that I'm a racist, but tells internal affairs to keep going with an investigation about owning a business with a felon. Then also to start a new investigation that I stole a cell phone from a prisoner and I gave it to this civilian person who supposedly has it. So that goes on. And then it's two years I'm under IA. So they start digging up things on me and looking for everything. Nothing. Well, I'm working now. I'm still working, no problems, nothing whatsoever. Two years later, I go in for another IA interview. And this is when they sit me down and they're like, hey, do you take drugs? Do you take drugs out of the evidence locker? Do you sell drugs? Um, you give drugs to the girl that you defended. Then they go into, do you say the N-word? We bring that up again. Um, are you a racist? Then they go into, did you have a fixed parking tickets or speeding tickets for guys you work with? Just think. As a U.S. marshal? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, I have all the documents. We have all the transcripts. We have everything. And it's filed with MSPB. 
<laughs> then they go into you you properly hand properly mishandled your informant who an informant that I had who was in jail who came forward to me about a public corruption case that we gave to the US Attorney's Office. So it was all legit and on board. And they didn't like the way I handled it because we didn't register the informant who didn't want to be in registered, mm -hmm. but was being handled by the US Attorney's Office. But had nothing at all. But once you throw policies out there and you can get somebody, they're mm -hmm. going to use that. Then they sit you down in internal affairs and when you start getting questions after questions after questions, and you take a break and you consult with your attorney and then you go back and you re you answer the questions of proposing officials like, well, you didn't come, you weren't um, forthright in the beginning, but you took a break and sat down with your attorney. So we find that you had lack of candor. You're not beating the lack of candor one at all, mm. unless you look at the law. And the best is in there is I get the chief from internal affairs saying, thank you for your candor and bringing this all to our attention. But a chief from headquarters who the deciding officials doesn't want to hear that. And it's just a pile on. I mean, you, your background tells it, you know, when they sit you down in the room and they start asking you a million questions, they pile everything on and whatever they can get you on, they're going to get you on right there. And that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, it's it, it just, it's insane. And you, you sit, I sit there and I, I, I shake my head at it. It's like, it's a sick joke of what happened, you know, and being a federal agent, a U.S. Marshal, you're a criminal investigator, 1811. We have no union. Mm -hmm. I have nothing. You have this silly association, FLEOA, that's a complete mm -hmm. joke. They did nothing for me and I was a member, but yet they helped the two marshals that harassed the girl that I defended. And it all came out that. And, you know, to add more to it is the task force is a congressionally run task force. It was created after September 11th to go over the after go after the worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to they don't the, the leaders at the marshal service doesn't want a black eye brought to Congress about what they did, that they can't manage the task force because you couldn't manage it. It was all middle management supervisors running a task force right. that had no experience. They didn't know how to deal with different local cops and other federal agencies and bringing them all together and working it and getting some of the marshals on there were getting walked over by local detectives who were smart and like, we're in charge now when they're not, it was a marshal's task force. We run it. We're in charge. You're going to do what we tell you to do. We're giving you the money. We're giving you the equipment. We're giving you all this, you know, to work together. You're not in charge though. You're working in the U S courthouse and we're in charge. We're running it, but it wasn't ran like that. It was a circus. Um, and when you go up against the guys that have a great gig, Look at any TFOs, any task force officers. They want they don't want to be part of the police departments. They want to come to a federal task force and work there. You get in a car, you get in overtime, you're coming and going as you please. You have nobody looking at you. You report maybe back to your police department's bosses once a week, every two weeks, and let them know what's going on as long as you can bring in some collars. Mm. So they didn't want that messed up. And plus the money, the money that comes from Congress to fund these things. But that was it. And here, here I was just coming out and defending the girl who was being harassed. That was it. And if they would have just handled it in the beginning of, okay, we had these three or four guys that were shitheads, yeah. stop being assholes and work together. But no, it just blew up to something bigger because they didn't want to do that. So you're, you think that, um, I agree with you, by the way, that's just like, that's an easy conversation to have. Like, hey, if you want to be on this task force and continue getting the benefits from it, shut the fuck up and do your job. That's pretty simple, right? Um, Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that and and hearing what I said and you have in the background to know that. Thank yeah, you. yeah. I mean, it's a pretty simple thing. We've we've all dealt with that in the professional workplace before, whether it's LE or military or somewhere else. It's it's always like that. There's always one, you know. I mean, it's when you get a bunch of A-types together, there does tend to be a tendency for people to bully each other sometimes. And you just got to tell people, shut the fuck up and do your job. But your, your, your supposition is that <clears throat> the, 
the reason they came back after you and this young woman is because they didn't want the congressional task force to have a black guy somewhere. They didn't want any paper trail of like, it's so, I mean, and I, and I understand it to some degree, it's kind of safetyism because some other piece of shit uh, politicians are going to come along and be like, look, this task force is rife with corruption and blah, blah, blah. We got to shut it down or whatever the hell. I understand trying to protect against that, but it gets, if you don't deal with those situations as soon as they occur, then it actually does become a problem down the road now. And here you are and, and this woman um, who are both having to speak publicly now because of the persecution. And now it is a problem for the task force. And it wouldn't have been if they had just shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, oh, you nail it, Rob. You nail it 100%. That's exactly it. Because you could have fixed it in the very beginning and just brought in the three or four guys in the room and said, shut the fuck up, or you're out of here, or you're gone. You're going to work with her, or things could have got worked out better because there was no crime in the beginning. It was it was just like you said. It, it was policy violations broken there. And the young lady would have let that go on just with the, an apologies or move people around. But now here it is that we came out and spoke publicly. I have court cases going before the Merit System Protection Board, which is a complete joke. It's a kangaroo court and appeals going. This girl, she settled on an EEO and retired from the marshals. So they admitted that they did something wrong, but they don't want to come back. And now you have these guys who made sworn statements they made lies about me to internal affairs. So you have now you have criminal charges mm. that can be pending against people. But they don't want to do that. But you're going to hear it every day on TV, like, oh, this one lied to Congress. This one lied here. This the Congress hearings are a bunch of bullshit. Nothing happens from there. All your evidence is exposed on TV, so they're never going to use it in court. Here, you have people that lie to federal agents and. As a federal agent, that was like the best thing to say on the street when you were going after fugitives and you got the family members there. Oh, if you lie to me, that's five years in jail. Well, what about the federal marshals or the task force officers that are deputized and they lie to internal affairs? They don't get five years in jail? You know, it just comes down to Bobby. And you didn't even get me for lying. You're saying I had lack of candor, but that's your opinion. Lack of candor is just a bullshit term that they came up with in the government to speculate, mm. to go after a government employee. Yeah, it sounds uh, it sounds very Soviet to me because it's uh, there's this old yeah. phrase in, in the KGB, it's show me the person and I'll show you the crime. You ever heard that before? Yes, yes. That's a very common yeah. statement over there. Well, I guess now in the FSB and FSO, it's a very common phrase uh, uh, that, you know, like you were saying before, once you start looking at uh, procedural stuff, I mean, you could find procedural error, if you want to call it an error, right? Like, technically speaking, uh, a beat cop finds a 15-year-old and he's got a bag of weed on him. He's like, hey, give me that shit. And he throws it away and tells him to go to his fucking house. That is a, that, he should have arrested that kid, technically, yeah. right? But does it benefit society or the child? to have put him in jail and put him on paper. No, fucking, of course not. You know what I mean? Again, that's, you're, you're supposed to have some discretion as a law enforcement officer. You're supposed to, but those days are gone now because it's hard to be a cop because they don't want to give you any of that power mm. anymore. And you can have a great talking point on that and be like, you know what? It goes stem back to maybe the corruption with NYPD when they were doing the ticket scams mm. and people were getting paid on it. Okay, but you're going to take it away from every cop on the street because... Look at when you and I get pulled over on the street now, you can't show a badge. You can't do anything because you're being filmed 24-7. And a cop is screwed. He can't come in and be like, hey, even if you're a nice person and a gentleman and sit there and say, hey, I'm sorry, I was speeding or, mm. you know, I went through the yellow thinking it wouldn't turn red. Something. And the cop's sitting there like, I got to give you a ticket. It's like you're on a dash cam. I got a body cam, everything. You're getting, here's a $135 ticket. You know, instead of, and it, you sat there as a gentleman and apologized and said, hey, I'm sorry about this. Mm. You could have been a warning, but no more. Those warning days are gone, but people still want that warning. Sure. This, this is the nature of bureaucracy, though, right? It's why I'm a big believer in keeping government as small as possible, because even if it isn't intrinsically nefarious, the, the broader an institution gets, the more safetyism will occur like that. People don't want to fucking – they won't they, – like – during the review process, especially when it's a congressional thing, but during the review process, they don't want to have to explain why somebody gave somebody else a break. 
like, oh, what do you know that kid? Is he a fucking friend of your buddies or, or is he your buddy's kid or something? Like, no, I just thought maybe I'm not going to ruin this kid's life today because he made a stupid mistake like we all make when we're, in, when we're teenagers, you know? Um, and, yeah, now you can't really get away with it anymore. It's, it's very bizarre. Um, it, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? To like the, the purpose of law enforcement is not to arrest people. It is to protect and serve the community. That's what it's supposed to be, right? And protecting and serving community means a lot more than just arresting people. Well, that's how I was brought up, and that's how you thought it was to do. And it's to help and to help people to be successful, to move on, to get better. But you're going to sit there and, and like you said, I'm going to arrest this 15-year-old kid for a dime bag of weed? Come on. You know, real cops would just take the weed and throw it in the, down the sewer. Mm. Get out of here. That's what you're supposed to do. But no, you now you have all this wokeism out there telling you what you should do. So, and from our leaders, our leaders, listen, I go back on on Trump and I give him a lot of credit for saying this. Right before he became president, we have a lot of stupid leaders out there. Mm. And he brought he exposed them all and told them all. Not and, just stupid, but weak. I mean, they don't want to like in the same way that a that a, a police captain or ma major doesn't want to sit in a comp stat meeting and explain stats and they'll juke the numbers and, and make up a bunch of bullshit and downgrade felonies to misdemeanors and all this stuff that doesn't like it it's it, it has a negative effect on the community when you do that because you don't show the real problem what needs to get solved they're just cowards in my opinion i just if you you stand you do the job and you stand by the job you did and if it's not good enough then you improve and that has got to be the standard here. I mean, we, 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 we're living in this fantasy world where whatever's on paper is reality. Whatever command says is reality. Whatever Congress says is reality. But reality is reality. You know what I mean? The data is reality. We, need to, we, we really have to stop doing this stuff. But they manipulate the data. Mm. And just like you said, when you give false reports on stats and incidents, it, it hurts us. It hurts us, the taxpayers. It hurts the community. Of what's being done out there just tell the truth the real facts out there that you you know this kid jumped the turnstile 12 times in a week mm. that's why you got arrested yeah or now we're doing away with quality of life crimes you know it's okay to pee on a tree in the middle of you know fifth avenue or you know you're allowed to write your name on a on the bus with a magic marker no you're not like what happened well you were around go wrong? you were you grew up in new york but you were around um once you left the Navy, you were around during the uh, the Giuliani and Bernie Carrick era, right, where New York in the early to mid-90s was a pretty rough place to go. And then, you know, they started yeah. enforcing quality of life crimes to a pretty large degree and cleaning up some of the homeless stuff. And New York got precipitously better through the late 90s and the early 2000s, and including when Bloomberg was there. Everybody forgets that Bloomberg was the stop and frisk guy. You know what I mean? It wasn't, yeah. uh, it wasn't some crazy... Uh, right-wing extremist guy. No, it was Bloomberg, who is now a Democrat. I mean, I, I, he started as a Republican, he, but in, in mayor, he was an independent, right, I believe. Yeah, and then, then he went to a Democrat. He played, yeah. the, played the role perfect. Mm. You know, and well, just a, a, a good person. But he was a, he was a pretty good mayor. I didn't like that, uh, that stupid soda tax bullshit, but more or less a nah. good mayor. But then what happens is you get caught up into stupid mm. shit when people come in there and they start bringing things out there. You know, mayor... Maybe some of it does does work. Like, really, do you do we need thirty two ounce cups of soda? Like, <laughs> I don't get it. No, <laughs> certainly not. I don't even drink soda, but I don't think the government has a right to tell me what the fuck I'm going right. to do either. Right, hundred um, percent. But yeah, he's uh, you know, he 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 evolved over time, I guess you could say. But mm -hmm. it, it starts to get, and, and it's a, I think it's a problem that's intrinsic to our system because those people want to. We, what we call the Overton window, which is what is politically acceptable at any given time period. Um, people in positions like him want to stay popular. And the reason is because they have to win popularity contests to stay in power. You know what I mean? And that is an, right. that is a, that's a bad situation because people will do uh, – people that are ego-driven like that, that want to stay in power, will do just about anything to stay in power. And it's a shame that it happens to a bunch of these people in mm -hmm. there too. And you see it every day with – with our leaders today, these people in Congress and the Senate, it just, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. I mean, I seen that, that Feinstein, they were showing it last night on TV. I mean, one eye can't even open. The other eye is just open like she got hit with a baseball bat. 
it's like what happened here? maybe she should run for president because they're on the same intellectual level right now um so this is uh yeah that's a lot of good background there i want to ask you some uh questions so can you explain for the audience i like taking these opportunities to, to give people good information uh what exactly is it that u.s marshals do give me like a brief overview because i think most people's only experience with it is either watching con air or the fugitive you know yeah, what I, mean? I love that right we have- yeah the Marshall Service had the best movies in the world, right? Yeah, it does, but it's the most unsung, like day-to-day. Everybody knows about NYPD and LAPD and all this shit. Everybody knows about the FBI, but nobody actually knows what U.S. Marshals do. And they have, like, a there's a couple of, of niche things that only they do, right? Right. So, it, yeah, a U.S. Marshal, uh, it, it's it's your own police department in there. We deal with um, taking prisoners, federal prisoners, to court in the U.S. courthouses we have to deal with the U.S. judges, the U.S. attorneys, and we'll hold prisoners in a cell block in the courthouse, process prisoners, transport them to the to the federal jails or the local jails, whatever's contracted, transport them also um, internationally or within the states, you know, by by airplane or vehicle. Um, judicial security with the judges and the U.S. attorneys. So and like so like you you do the judicial PSDs the personal security details and stuff as well. Now I did that in the beginning of my career. I was on like a um, um, two judges out of mm. Southern New York. We had to protect that were part of the World Trade Center bombings. Mm. Um, in the ni- the ninety three one you mean? The ninety three mm. and then ninety five maybe no. ninety five. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but that 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 job is the purview of the department of the Marshall's department. Uh, pretty much so, and then you have fugitive, fugitive investigation, which mm. is the dependent the whole thing of being the U.S. Marshals. You want to go after fugitives and sure. work the warrant. That's the one everybody knows about for sure. And you guys do uh, federal WITSEC as well, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And so you said, uh, I guess, for people who out there who may be interested in doing this job in the future at some point, um, you get into the service, and then it's like maybe you get assigned to this or that when you're early on and then you kind of find your niche and you kind of stay in that lane for the most of your career. Is that how it works? If you can pull that off. Yeah. Mm. And you, yeah, pretty much that's like that. But a lot of these guys jump around and people are title searchers. They want to make rank and, and move up there. I mean, the bet, the biggest part of this gig is if you join the marshals and you do two or three years in a district, and then you want to get part of the, the task force or judicial security or WITSEC, mm. You know, you have to put in to go to headquarters and bump up from there, you know, hopefully stay in the spot that you're in. This episode of Citizens is also brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Right now, Ghostbed is offering 40% off Ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. For everything else, 30% off if you use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. If you get the uh, 40% off deal, if you use the 40% off bundle deal, you're going to get uh, a mattress and all your stuff, your base, your sheets, your pillows, all this stuff for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months, that's five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you, works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out. Go to ghostbed.com for slash drinker bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best. The mattress protector, the weighted blanket, they have everything you need there. 30% off everything. Use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. This episode is also brought to you by First Form. Firstform.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. The product they really want you using is the Micro Factor. It's a complete daily nutrient pack. Now, what's in it? Antioxidants, CoQ10, great for heart health, multivitamins, uh, greens and reds, which is to say fruits and veggies, then EFA, which is to say fats that you need. And then they got a probiotic in there as well. It's an easy little pack. You just dump it all in your fucking mouth and swallow, uh, probably with some liquid, preferably water. Um, they got all kinds of other great products as well. Uh, talking about those meat sticks, the breakfast sausages meat stick is the best thing I've ever had in my life. And of course, they have energy drinks. They've got all kinds of stuff over there. They got great protein. The best supplements on the market. If you spend over seventy-five bucks, 
you're going to get free shipping. So go to firstform.com forward slash Drinker Bros and get those deals. And how, how political would you say it all is? I mean, any, any institution is going to have some of that stuff, but is it like pretty rough in, in the marshal service or is it because I know the FBI is pretty rough when it comes to the political stuff? Oh, the marshals is probably the top one because every U.S. marshal, there's 94 districts. Mm. Every U.S. marshal is appointed by the president. It's a presidential appointed position. So every time a, pr- a president it moves, there's a new marshal that comes into place. And then you have to, you, do the, you don't do it the old way anymore. Now you have a new guy come in or a new girl come in and they're either Republican or Democrat mm. and they're going to set their ways on what they want to do and they're going to appease they're people that gave them a favor to get them in there. So it, it changes every four years, you know, and it, it, you see people's true colors. But the, know, pr- when the principles of policing don't change. Well, you can't bring in, like, you can't bring in a local cop who was a chief or even a correction officer to run the district of the U.S. Marshals. They have no idea what they're doing. It's a different animal. All they care about now is kissing ass to the judges in the courthouse because they're the people that they have to associate with. They don't want to worry about the guys and the girls that are working the field. They could care less about us. We're like, you know, uniform cops. Go ahead. Go stand out there. They have no idea what your position is. They just don't want to get a phone call from an angry judge. And they'd rather go out to lunch with the judge. So it's, it's a... A dog and pony show all the time. Yeah, it sounds a lot like the military, to be honest. I mean, you you knew that. I don't know if it was bad in the Navy back in the day, but in the in the Army, as as the war in Iraq started to wind down, I was I was getting ready to get out, <clears throat> and it was becoming increasingly like that. Just like leadership cliques, people whomever you hung out with determined the the course of your career, basically. Really, I didn't. I'm lucky because I didn't have to, I didn't see that. I was in the Navy in 88 to 94, 95. And um, I was in Desert Storm. I was in Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. And, you know, then I was in Italy and I was in Virginia. I had a great, a great time when I was in. um, And I didn't get involved with the whole politics. The politic business happened when I was with the Marshals because of everybody you deal with. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Um, well, thanks for that background information. I like that because, you know, people, I, I feel like the marshal service is one that they, they have, there's so many unique uh, jobs that you guys do that people don't know about because it's all about fugitive recovery. I think that's all people really know about. Even, uh, I guess, Justified is another one. That's another good <laughs> show. Uh, and but coming. it's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're great. You're the mar- that's all everybody wants to do in the marshals. You want to work the street sure, and be yeah. out there. I mean, and it's it's adrenaline rush. It's a dangerous job, you know. And like I've been involved. I, I'm come on. I I worked in Brooklyn. I had some of the biggest cases in the world. I mean, I was El Chapo was in Brooklyn. You know, that was part of our district, yeah. our cases, and you know, top 15s and top 10s. You know, America's most wanted. The worst of the worst, and everything that's out there, and everything, com- everybody comes through Brooklyn. Everybody wants to. Every, every bad person circulates around New York sure. somehow. And if you, uh, even given your experience, um, what would you tell somebody that was interested in joining the Marshal Service today? Would you tell them to do something else, or any advice for people I, like that? You know, look, that's a hard. That's a hard question because I just had a young guy who was an intern for me years ago when I was back there and running the Warren squad mm. and this kid turned down the marshal service and he went to NYPD to go. He was like, because, and he turned it down to marshal service more because of me bringing him in and what they did to me. Mm. I mean, I respect the hell out of this kid. He's 20 something years old and this is changed his whole life. I mean, he's going to be a superstar with NYPD, you know, and he's going to see a lot more action and hopefully move up in rank and become a detective and work some good cases. But um, listen, I think I love being a cop. It was awesome, man. I love it and I believe in it 100% and I feel bad for the guys and girls that are out there today, man, because our leadership is terrible. Yeah, it's and, a tough time to be a cop right now. Yeah, but I still think it's a great job. There's so many opportunities out there and I think it's gonna come full circle and I think, you know, 
the younger generation today that become cops, you know, will make it better. You know, once they push out all these old timers that that all of a sudden became woke and, you know, think that, you know, you can just bring balloons into the, the precinct and everything's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. You know, it's a dangerous job. It is. Yeah. And that's uh, to, to kind of circle back. That's, that's what we were talking about earlier about just facing reality because it is a dangerous job and people are just so dumb sometimes, man. Like, why didn't you just shoot him in the legs? Like, are you fucking kidding? Have you ever been in a gunfight before? It's, it's, it worked like that. <laughs> and it's always, I don't Monday morning quarterback any of these cops at all. Mm. I never do. And I never have, I've been involved in four shootings. I've been jammed up better than anybody else out there. And I never let any of my guys down. I was always there for them. Some of the greatest compliments I got were people saying I was the hardest guy to work for, but they wanted to work for me. And that's awesome. And I, the people I worked with are the best out there. And I'm very biased about that. I worked with the greatest NYPD detectives in the world, the sergeants, and they were great. And I'm friends with them today, and they had my back today. And I had theirs when we were all working together. Um, but to listen to some of these people come out there and tell us how we should do be a cop out on the street, they have no fucking right whatsoever when they sit in an office all day long and they watch these bullshit TV shows every day and they want to critique a cop. You look, these guys and girls are out there, you know, with so much gear on every day, Velcro from head to toe, the vest is uncomfortable, all these extra fucking tools you give them to do the job and then you question everything they did and they all forget that the cop out there is somebody's mom or dad or brother or sister you know a person and you expect this cop to be the judge and jury to be a doctor to be a pilot be an engineer all within seconds mm. you want this this guy or girl to fix the problem and then when they show up on a scene you do nothing but yell at them and curse at them and get in their face and put them in the most uncomfortable situation possible when you call them to come fix the situation. And then you have our leaders out there, these political assholes that want to critique every move a cop makes. And then these other people that come out there and start videotaping cops just walking out of a, a deli to go get lunch, you know, and, and what are they doing? This is my tax dollars. What do you, the guy's getting something to eat or drink. Leave him alone. So it's just, it's a shame that, you know, when you were a kid, you know, you looked up to being a cop. Mm. You know, you wanted to be a cop. You praised them. And now what happened? Where did we, where did we fucking go wrong? Yeah, you know? the, and, the truth is they uh, police these days are probably quite a bit more ethical than they were back in the day uh, in some cities. Like LAPD, they were just wailing on people back in the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's quite a bit better now, but they're getting more heat today than they did back then for some reason. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No. How can you blame the cops today for what happened 20, 30 years yeah. ago when they weren't there? It's why are we doing that? It, it makes no sense. No, it really doesn't. And, you know, I think it's part of this broader situation where, you know, certain groups of people are kind of attacking all of the institutions and all the people that protect our, our communities. Right whether it's, uh, you know, military people coming back from Vietnam and shit, or um, whether it's masculinity in general, which is a bad thing apparently now, or police or whatever. It's like, do you, re do you really understand what happens if all this stuff goes away? We're seeing it right now. You know what I mean? Target, or uh, uh, Target, uh, uh, yeah, well, I guess Target's one of them. Mo retailers are leaving Portland and Seattle and Chicago. Right. They're just pulling their entire stores out of those cities now because they're so fucked up because the the government won't let the police do their jobs there. This is what happens when you treat the people that protect you like shit, frankly. Well, it, it it's mind-boggling. It's been, right, you go into all these other states and towns and you go into what CVS or Walmart or something and you got to go get you have to go find somebody if there's anybody there even working because you have no people anymore just to open up the rack to go get deodorant because people are going to steal deodorant for whatever reason, you know, and let them, you don't stop anybody from stealing. Look at, they just fired those two girls from Lululemon yep. for intervening and stopping them. That's pretty and wild. And they're probably going to get sued. 
That, yeah, it's it. That's it. We're living in wild times, so that's why, you know, um, our show here. We kind of developed this list of principles that we think are good core principles that pretty much everybody should be able to agree, agree upon, and it's mostly rooted in service. And I think to your point, where if people don't, uh, whether it's the ordinary citizen or uh, the politician who doesn't really get what it means to actually serve and put yourself on, on the line. I think that um, some of these are, are pretty poignant. And I, I also think that if we had some kind of compulsory service requirement, not the military, not even police, but, you know, as part, when you're a junior and senior in high school, instead of learning, instead of pretending to learn Spanish or French, maybe you go work at a homeless shelter. You know what I mean? Something like that. Like you get involved right. with real people's problems and try to help real people solve their problems. And then you understand that sometimes you got to put yourself at risk to do that. And sometimes it doesn't work out. You know what I mean? Sometimes things go sh sideways because there's crazy assholes out there. It's just how it yeah. is. So, Oh yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. That would be a great thing to bring out forward to make it's since we want to make all these changes and make it easier or better for, for people today. I mean, you go to some of these schools and we're not even teaching kids how to sign their name anymore. Nobody know they don't people don't know how to write a check. Mm. You know, but you know, like, yeah, like you said, instead of worrying about teaching Spanish like it's bullshit when you're a, a junior or senior in high school, you were just scamming your whole time out. Yeah, why not go out there and and help the homeless, you know? And what but we don't even do that anymore whatsoever. You there's people beating up the homeless on the street or putting them on fire, mm. you know, or shooting fireworks at them and nothing's happening to those kids. But then if you do, if the cops get involved or an adult gets involved, if a teacher gets involved to try to discipline somebody, then the parents come down and want to, you know, jam up the cop or the teacher or the school when it's actually the parents fault for their kids being a piece of shit. Yeah. And we'll, we will, and, we will, we will suffer the attitudes and the chaos and the violence that we accept. That's the reality of the situation. And where you, when you when you go after the people trying to stop that stuff instead of the people doing it, then you tell the people doing it that it's not only okay that they're doing it, but it's their right to do it, and that you'll protect them from the consequences. And that is just it. it there, how can it not have disastrous consequences? You know what I mean? Oh, it, it it's totally having disastrous consequences. I mean, just look at it now. Look at BLM. Everybody, you wanted to. To, to fly that flag of Black Lives Matter, no problem. I'm all about everybody matters here. Mm. But our politicians are going to stop the whole way of business. And someone like Nancy Pelosi is going to put on, you know, an African scoff and kneel down in Congress and then make everybody else do it. And then you have law enforcement, you have the FBI agents coming out kneeling on the ground. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. You have people committing crime. And you think you can hold hands and make it better? It's not going to happen that way. You have to, we have to be in enforcement. You have, it, we have to make rules and follow those rules. And to deviate, we're going to worry about passing all these gun laws. We have laws on the books. Enforce them. Mm. Stop letting the guy out who got arrested. He's a felon with possession of a firearm, and you let him out. What do you think is going to happen? Oh my God, I don't know. Uh, so. Yeah, it's 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 grown chaotic. And when things do, you know, whenever you get, um, I guess, discombobulated a little bit, the, the proper thing to do is to go back to the basics. Right. I use this analogy a lot. But if you're a if you're a baseball player and your swings fucked up, you don't go out and try to hit home runs. You go into the batting cage and work on your swing. You break it down <laughs> and you do the fundamentals right. correctly again. So I think these principles are are the fundamentals of being a good person in a, in a civilized society. And the, the first one, one that you actually picked to talk about was I'll do something every day to help my country. My countrymen are all men. Now, from my perspective, <clears throat> it, some of this is based on the servant leadership principle from Greenleaf back in the day. I don't know if you ever read that book, um, but it's, it, it's just like, and it isn't just about public service, but it's just about being a leader in general and how the best leaders among us see their people as the as the the product you know what i mean that's the the people are what matter the people under my command are what matter because they're the ones that are actually out there doing the job and if i take care of them if i'm a servant to them then they're going to mostly do the right thing because they've been prepared and conditioned to do the right thing um and then everybody benefits as a result of that that's why 
I picked this as the first as the first principle because that was the way I led troops uh, in, in the 82nd Airborne. That's how I felt, right? Like if I give them the right tools to succeed and the right attitude, then I don't have to micromanage them all the time. They're going to go out there right. and do it. Right. I agree with that 100%. And I I think I, 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 I tried to live by that too. And I've seen it in a different aspect, like what you're saying is, like, I can't, you don't want to micromanage. I mean, I remember there was another young lady who worked for me and very smart. And I, when I would get up and leave my computer and in the government, you know, you had to put your card in the computer and you had all this, this security bullshit. And you know, I'm in a secured workspace. I would get up and she would make it a point to get on my computer and CC herself to the emails that I was generating when we were doing like a job for extraditions of a prisoner because she wanted to know mm. how to do it, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a, a, a college professor where I'm going to hold a class and everything. You just, you do the job and you learn as you go along. Right. And this young girl, this young girl today who was just a deputy is now a supervisor running a whole squad, you know, and learned from me, but that's what you have to do. You have to embed it on people and, let them become successful. I mean, I'm 52 years old. I'm not hip anymore to what's going on out there. You know, you have to let the younger generation do it, the people that you bring on and train them and give them all the tools and back them. And that's what makes you a better leader, you having their back and going forward. Yeah, and the, the principle of the military, I don't know if it's the same for policing, but it's uh, you, sh- you got to know the job of the man uh, ahead of you and the man behind you, right? above and below if you want to call it that so it's like yeah how you know how do you as a leader prepare like it's it's very easy to to teach your subordinate your job but how do you teach them to have the drive and the wherewithal to not only learn the master the job of the person behind them but also teach that person behind them to do both of those things as well you know it's a very complicated ecosystem and it only exists if enough people are all doing the right thing and we're seeing the decay of it right now because that stuff's not happening anymore It's not, and it's very unfortunate. And I like how you put it like that. How do you make sure the people that you taught teach the other people behind you and and understand it and put and keep keep it going? And you don't see that because you see nobody cares about school anymore. Nobody cares about the military anymore. Nobody cares about service. Just giving back and and helping out others. And you you it's dumbfounding. Why? why nobody cares anymore and wants to make it better. Why do we just want to sit there and, and wreck things and, and cause destruction. And then I just hope that the people that I taught and who learned from me can pass it on and keep going forward with it. Yeah. I think there's uh so one of the other principles is I will not allow those less fortunate or incapable of defending themselves to be harmed or taken advantage of in my country. And it, it's followed by patriots say, we, not me. I think to your point, that people just aren't proud to be American anymore because everybody is constantly talking shit about the U.S. and its history. They're trying to, uh, you know, reframe history in a way that makes us look like the only evil country in the history of the world, and we all arrived here as a result of that evil, which is obviously nonsense. But even if it was true, this is where you live. This is your country, right? So taking pride in the thing that's yours that that belongs to you or that you belong to if it's a group uh is a very important part of being a human being because that pride is what drives you to make that thing better and to sustain it over time right so you may not be proud of some of the things america's done but it is on you to make america better so that you can be proud of it otherwise you're just a fucking piece of shit oh you're just a whiner you're you're contributing nothing you know what i mean i don't have any respect for people like that so that it begin for me it begins and ends with leading and protecting people, which is what you know the military and law enforcement does, and and fire and other and other uh, uh, first responders. But that is the one of the core jobs in in any civilized country, and we've kind of lost our way when it comes to this. Um, we see isolated incidents or even sometimes problematic trends as the core definition of an institution instead of saying hey this institution is important let's fix this thing not defund it which is goddamn stupid 
that you you made that's very powerful what you just said and you know can i can i talk about myself on that yeah because yeah, i did it yeah i did what you're supposed to fucking do i served and protect i did it i proved it to everybody out there read articles about me read the papers i did it i defended a coworker. i defended a subordinate i defended a young lady who was being fucked with by four guys in the office and these same guys are married. Some of them even have daughters and they treated this girl like she was garbage. So I did it. I stepped up and I went face to face with these people and they, they fucked me. But you know what? I'm still here. And you know what's happening today is I have people calling me looking for help. How did you stay in the fight? How did you stay focused? How did you not kill yourself? You know how much pressure that does weigh on you? Like, why do you, and then I have to look at other people who even said that and even thought about it in their minds. And I looked at my mom and my dad and my wife to think that they were thinking that I would kill myself because of all the pressure that came down on me. Because I did lose my, my self-pride of being proud of being a veteran and being a cop because of what these scumbags, our government officials, the unaccountable bureaucrats wrote about me and said about me. It's fucking disgusting, but we let it still happen and it's horrible. But you know what? Here I am today coming forward, calling them out and helping people. I had a grown man in my house over the weekend looking for help. Mm. And here I am helping him. I have other people calling me looking for lawyers because they're getting screwed over from the corrupt government. And we all know it's corrupt and we know that these people that become agency lawyers can't make it on their own. They can't make it out there. They can't get into the public practice and make a lot of money. So they're stuck making 140 grand a year as, you know, general counsel for the Marshal Service. Really? This is what you wanted to do when you're when you graduated, you know, whatever law school you went to, you wanted to go work for the U.S. Marshals at a general counsel and look over, you know, contracts. That was your dream. So uh, I, I did it and I don't regret anything I did and I'll fight to the end to protect and provide for my family. And that's what I did. And you, that's what you're supposed to do. Mm. And it's an honorable thing. And I feel very humbled when I have people who don't even know me that heard of who I am and heard my story and they thank me. They thank me for my service and they thank me for helping the girl that I helped because people don't do it today. And what's wrong with that? And I don't want to hear all the rhetoric from people who never been through what I've been through or never been up against it to tell me what they would have did because they don't know. And don't tell me that if anybody fucks with my family, I'm going to kill you. No, you're not. You're not going to do shit. You're going to do what I did. You're going to fucking protect your family. You're going to carry on and you're going to provide for them. You're going to go get another fucking job. You're going to go get benefits. You're going to make it happen. So that, you know, you got to you got to stay in the fight. And if you don't, I, I, I feel bad that it's like that. I don't want to be cold hearted. I know some people are are up against it, but, you know, you can't give up. And that's that's the best way to be. Yeah. And luckily, there are some <clears throat> there, there probably are more resources out there today for people like that than there used to be. I mean, Kyle Seraphim's out there. I don't know if you know him, the former FBI agent that's helping yep. people out. Uh, Eddie Gallagher, former Navy SEAL, uh, runs mm -hmm. the Pipe Foundation. They do pro bono legal work for military and law enforcement, people like that that are getting jammed up. So if you're out there and you're having these issues, reach out to Kyle. He's on Twitter. Seraphim, like the, like the angel. Um, and uh, Eddie Gallagher is pretty easy to find. He's probably shooting a gun somewhere. Um, well, I was, well, like me, I was very fortunate. I had, um, because we have that bullshit Fleoa. Yeah, 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 that's nothing. Yeah. And um, and I called them out, right? Mm. They're garbage. And I had the um, the National Police Defense Foundation. Mm. That's a good one, it's too. Like, it's, they're fucking huge. Yeah. And they backed me. They created a legal defense fund for me. They they knew the government was wrong. Mm. So what does that tell you? You know, and, I, and, and of course, they want to see court documents. Here's everything. Here's what I got. And... 
you know, thank goodness for them. And there's another one, the Federal Enforcement of Homeland Security Foundation, mm -hmm. another group that backs me. I'm like, you know, you can't, you can't compete when with Filioa when you have them there. No. So. Well, it's good it those orgs. It's, it's great people that'll yeah, help yeah. you. It's good those orgs are out there. It's good. And if you're out, if again, if you're out there and you're doing one of these kind of jobs and somebody's trying to jam you up, reach out to somebody because there's help. You don't have to suffer alone anymore. Yeah. It's not like that. Um, well, look, I appreciate you coming today. Tell everybody where they can find you so they can keep uh, following your story or if they want to talk to you about shit that's going on in their professional careers. Well, <clears throat> the only thing I got active live going is that I'm on LinkedIn. Mm hmm. You know, under my name, I don't mess around with Facebook or any of that shit. Um, I don't blame you. <laughs> eventually, eventually, I will. You know, mm -hmm. I just, you know, I still got things going on. You know, with my case happening, sure. um, and then you know, in the middle of writing a book. So, right. Well, look, when uh, whatever the book's done, come back and we'll discuss that. <laughs> Definitely, man. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right, and uh, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Same. Thank you very yes, much, sir. Thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.